0: Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in the coming of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, who is the Word made flesh, and through him, through your Word, draw us ever near, draw us ever closer, strengthen our faith unto your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week during the message, the Thanksgiving message, we talked about God's enduring love, right? And I don't know about you, but maybe because I also gave that message also at the community worship the about God's enduring love, that that has kind of echoed in me this past week. That the the phrase, His steadfast love endures forever, has just been kind of there, and kind of there. And so, for Advent, though I really didn't plan it, I thought it would be good to kind of carry the theme through of God's enduring love. Because really, what is Advent? Advent's a time in which we remember and recall the promise of God's enduring love, made manifest for us in Jesus Emmanuel which means God with us. You see, God's enduring love just wasn't proclaimed or shown to us when Jesus was born. It was foretold many, many hundreds of years beforehand. And so it's good to go into the Old Testament and see how God's promises, God's enduring love was shown to us even then. And promise to us. And what happens when you actually go back in the Old Testament and and then see it fulfilled in the New? I don't know about you, but there's a greater rejoicing. There's a strengthening of my faith. There's a greater gratitude that we have for God's enduring love made manifest for us in Christ Jesus. So we're going to spend time this Advent in the Old Testament. And we're first going to begin in Jeremiah. A lot of people don't know a whole lot about Jeremiah. He had a ministry that spanned about 40 years, from 627 to 587 B.C. Now, during his life, there had been the rise, kind of a last rise, of the uh, nation of Israel, a nation of Judah, under King Josiah, there was a last kind of burst of energy, but then there was a decline, a fall, a decay, if you will. And so God told Jeremiah to call the nation to repentance, that they needed to come back to God. It wasn't going to be done through political alliances or anything else, that the only thing that would save them that they should come back to God. But the nation did not listen. They rejected God's word, God's will, God's law, and they were taken captive by the Babylonians. So there was judgment that occurred for the nation. And yet, if you, I mean, if you read Jeremiah, there's a lot of judgment that happens but there's also a word of comfort because even in the midst of where they are at the lowest point God's enduring love gave them a word of comfort that there would be a new covenant given so this morning we are going to see that there's a promise of a new covenant that is written in our hearts knowing That in the Lord we are forgiven. So that's our outline for this morning. Very simple promise of a new covenant written in our hearts, knowing that we are forgiven. So let's begin with the text, Jeremiah chapter 31, starting with verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is a very important section in the Old Testament. It is the only place in the Old Testament where a new covenant is explicitly promised. So if you want to circle something in your Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 31, starting with verse 31. It's the only place in the Old Testament where a new covenant is explicitly promised. Now, there are a lot of other messianic promises, promises of the Messiah, or in the New Testament, we'd say the Christ, many others, and we will cover some of those. But if this is the only place and is so crucial, we have to understand What is a covenant? Because we don't use that word very often. And that is, that's what God uses in his relationship with us. Covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise, a solemn agreement between two parties that define their relationship with each other. Now, a covenant can either be conditional or unconditional. What's an unconditional? uh, A conditional promise is if you keep your end, I will keep mine. An unconditional one says I will keep my end no matter what you do. So God has used covenants with mankind throughout history to define the relationship, who he is to man and who man is to him. And there's been several covenants that he has made. One was in the garden. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. God said, don't do that, because if you do that, you're going to die. God didn't kill them right away, did he? As a matter of fact, he made his very first promises To mankind in the garden after the fall. And we're actually going to study that. It's in Genesis chapter 3. There's the very first, and it's an important one the very first promise of a Savior is found in Genesis chapter 3. But He made other promises too. He made a promise to Noah that He would not flood the world ever again. And what's the sign of that covenant? It's the rainbow, right? That he would not flood the earth ever again. He also made a promise with Abraham that he would bless them, bless him and his descendants with land. That he would be a blessing to many nations. Now, that was a promise that God made that was not dependent on Abraham. Abraham. Because if you remember, when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham was an old man by then, and his wife Sarah was well past childbearing age. For the average age in this congregation, just think, if God said, you're going to have children, (laughs) right? So the promise was not dependent on Abraham or Sarah, it was dependent upon God. So those three promises were unconditional promises. And it was because of his steadfast love. That's where those, how those promises were made. Now we come to something called the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic. It simply means that God made a covenant with Moses. Moses, Mosaic. He made a covenant with Moses, and the nation of Israel. He had redeemed them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and now he had made a covenant with them. And if you want, this is found in Exodus chapter 19 through 24. So if we go through here just a little bit, Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, let me ask you, is this a conditional or unconditional covenant? It is conditional Because it says, if you will indeed obey. So the covenant is conditional. And by the way, he gave blessings and cursings. If you follow my covenant, there will be blessings. And if you don't, there will be curses. So it is a conditional covenant. But also notice what it says about his relationship to the people in this covenant that they shall you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples you shall be to me a kingdom of a kingdom of priests a holy nation it is a special relationship that the nation of Israel was to have with God so that's the beginning of chapter 19 then if you go through 24 well in there you get the 10 commandments you get actually more uh rules, laws, regulations, if you will, about how we are to behave towards each other. So, it's pretty lengthy. I would encourage you to read it. All the people heard what Moses said, and they said, yes, we will obey. And then at the very end, chapter 24, Moses offers a sacrifice. And he offers a sacrifice of animals, and it says, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Look, this covenant wasn't simply a handshake sort of covenant. It was a solemn, holy promise. And blood was shed. A life was given to show the depth, the breadth of this covenant. Did Israel obey? No! Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments written on the tablets, comes down, and what did he find? They had made an, an idol of a golden calf. He's so angry that he throws the tablets down, they break. Then eventually goes up to the mountain again. And because of God's steadfast love, and we talked about that last week, Going up to the mountain, he says, the Lord, the Lord. It talks about abounding in that hesed, that steadfast love. And so he writes again on the tablets his commandments. And did they still obey? No, they did not, right? Even though he had redeemed them, brought them out of slavery, they had rejected him. And here the metaphor is used of God's relationship with Israel like that of a husband to a wife. So there was infidelity, great infidelity, on the part of Israel. And Israel is severely rebuked and judged for whoring and prostituting herself. This is what it says in Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, it says, For long ago I broke your yoke and tore off your bonds, but you said, I will not serve, for on every high hill and it and under every green tree you have laid down as a harlot. Okay, folks, I was working through this, and I thought, this is not a Christmassy sort of Advent message. I mean, it's not, right? Charlie Brown, the whole Christmas thing, the nostalgia of it. But the reason for Christmas is because of real life. It isn't because of nostalgia or the lights or the gifts. All of those are nice, by the way. I like all that. But Christmas happened because of exactly this situation. And so we have to approach the true meaning of Christmas with the reality of life. You see, the Old Covenant was given at Mount Sinai. God had written his, his commands, His laws on the tablet. And the law was perfect in every way, pointing them to God. And they are to, go, to love God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their entire beings, right? This is what they were to do, and that's the relationship you and I are to have to the, with the Lord God. But people took that law, that commandment, and made it into just a a matter of conduct. Not the true purpose of it. They just made it into a matter of conduct. And when conduct is emphasized over and over again without a changed heart, it's simply compliance. And if your faith is simply compliance... It ultimately leads to resentment, rebellion, and even outright rejection of the relationship with God. This is why the marriage metaphor is so powerful. If there is, I mean in marriage counseling, if there is a problem in the relationship and you just work on behavior modification... It's just going to lead to compliance. You need a changed heart. If the heart is not changed in a marriage, I got to tell you, I've seen it. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not how the relationship is supposed to be. That's how it is for marriage. That's how it is for our relationship with God. And I have to tell you, that's how it is in the relationship with the church. See, a lot of people, they do the conduct of church without the heart towards Jesus. And if there's only the conduct, it becomes compliance and people fall away or leave the church. But did you know that it's not just the church you're leaving? Because the marriage metaphor carries through in the New Testament because the church is the bride of Christ. This is how that all works through. So what do we need as a people? We need a change of heart. Going on with our text, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Okay, got some questions for you. How many people, you don't have to raise your hand, how many people would admit that they've done stupid things in their life? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll raise my hand, right? How many people think they have sinned against others? Yeah, yeah, right? Gets a little harder now. Okay, here's a harder one. How many people would say that they have not only sinned against God but you have sinned against God because you have a wicked heart Ooh, you know we were all good up until that point right because we want to say well no I have good intentions right but we still do things against God's word and will this is actually what God said about our hearts in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Other translations say desperately wicked or, I like this one, beyond cure. Beyond cure. You know, you probably know and I know situations where there's congestive heart failure happening and the heart is literally beyond cure. And the only thing that can cure them is a new heart. But I want to delve into this just a little bit because a lot of people will say, well, here's how to cure your heart. Ask Jesus into your heart. You've heard that one, right? Just ask Jesus into your heart. Do you know that's found nowhere in the Bible? Not at all. And unfortunately, it can easily get changed into, well, if I ask Jesus into my heart, my life will improve, right? That I will be a better person. And by the way, you, you, you might be a better person, and that's good, right? You'll be doing things that are more consistent. But I don't know about you, I don't want to ask Jesus into my heart because my heart... Ain't so great. It's not. What does it say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Look, I don't want a new heart. I want a heart transplant. I want a heart of Christ Jesus. I want a new heart, not just an improved old one. And this is the promise that we find in Jesus. This is the promise we find in the Old Testament as well. Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, Therefore, say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and abominations and I will give you one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. See, the promise is that we don't get just an improved heart, that we get a new heart a new spirit, which then wants to follow Christ Jesus, wants to follow God and his word. That we aren't just an improved old person, we are a new person, a new creation. It says this in Second Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And also in the letter to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about how those Corinthians then are the witness of the gospel because they have a different heart. He says this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. You must have a new life to enter the kingdom of God. And you can't, look, you can't make yourself be born again, right? You didn't make yourself born the first time. You didn't make it the second time. And just like if you have congestive heart failure, you cannot do surgery on yourself. You need a master surgeon To do that surgery, to have a new heart, a new life in Christ Jesus, you need the great physician to give you a new heart. That's why if you take a look in our readings today, you will find that God is the author, the actor, the one who does all of the work. He says, I will. Look at it again. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look, this is a a radical thing that God is doing. What are we doing in this? Nothing, right? We are receiving what he is doing. See the prayer shouldn't be, Jesus coming out my heart. The prayer should be, Jesus, take my heart, give me yours. You know, there's that song, "Take my life and let it be." You know that one. There's a verse there that says, "Take my will, and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal." so we have a promise of a new covenant that's written in our hearts a new creation and with that when we are a new creation we know in a way that no one other knows that we are forgiven and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me From the very least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. When it says, know the Lord, this is more than just an intellectual knowing. It doesn't mean, I mean, there's intellect there, but it's more than that. It's about the sacred knowledge of the, it's about a knowledge of the sacred relationship we have in Jesus. When you come to know Jesus and know him as Lord and Savior, you understand that sacred relationship you have. And it's not just a little thing. Last week we talked about how the Thessalonians came to the gospel. It says, not only word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Now, conviction isn't a word that you often hear nowadays, right? You just don't hear it. At least I don't hear it a whole lot. Maybe you do. But conviction, what is conviction? Look, when you are truly convicted of something, it grabs you, doesn't it? it grabs your heart, your mind, your soul, your entire self, and it moves you in the direction of that conviction. That's what we're talking about here. That when you come to know the Lord, when you have that new heart, you just want to follow Him. Why? Because you are convicted in heart, mind, soul, body. You want to follow Him. You want to obey His Word because now it's in you. And you know this? You're not only convicted... Because you know your sin is great. You also know that. He who forgives your sin is greater than your sin. Amen. Amen. Yeah I got to get this. I got to get our church doing more amens on Thursday. The community worship. There are a lot of amens going on there. So some. Like I was preaching like a Baptist. Woo! So. i get out. psalm psalm 103 says this beautifully he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him for as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us This is the conviction of sin. This is also the conviction that you know we have a great, great Savior. We are in a new covenant. So where is that new covenant found? It's found in Christ Jesus. He he himself didn't proclaim the covenant, which he did, but he himself is the covenant. And this covenant is not sealed with the blood of animals. It is sealed with his blood. Go back to our gospel reading from Luke. Actually, I'm going to do the words of institution here. So we'll have the Lord's Supper in a little bit. Listen to what I say every week. Our Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take eat. This is my body given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, and when he had eaten and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin." this do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. The new covenant was sealed by his blood. A life was given so that we had forgiveness of sin. That's what his birth is about. That's Advent. We anticipate We are thankful for, we recall the promises of God's enduring love made manifest for us in Christ Jesus, that little baby who grew up and now was the Lamb of God. And when you start to take a look at that and his enduring love throughout the generations, there's a bit of awe that should come to mind. Maybe even some conviction. So, for you, I would encourage you, and in the sermon notes I gave it, look up some of the promises in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Just take some time, do that. Be a good Advent devotional. Then, pray for Jesus to change your heart. Now, if you are saved, amen and hallelujah, right? That's wonderful. At the same time, I still need my heart changed on certain subjects. Not just an improvement, but an actual change when it comes to situations in life. And then finally, pray for the Holy Spirit to bring you conviction of Jesus and his gospel. Look, you pray these prayers, God will answer these prayers. And to that everyone says, Amen.